just so dynamic. Well, again, good morning. I told you I'd be back. Y'all still doing okay? Uh, didn't those three boys do a good job just singing? Wasn't that good? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm just always amazed. Uh, I, I, you know, I just got to tell you this. I just love you guys. I look forward to so much driving through purgatory to come see you. It's just amazing. And we're just loving what God is doing. Um, the thing that uh, we, I had lunch this week with Robbie Partain, who's the, our associational um, director of missions. He's kind of in our, in, Baptists are loose. Did y'all know that? We're like a bunch of cats. Um, and we're just kind of loose and, uh, in, in our structure, but we're, we're tight in our relationships. And Robbie was up having lunch with me, and I work with Robbie. Robbie works with me. And he's so excited about what's happening here at First Baptist Wimberley. And I know I am, and I know the Lord is, and, and it's just starting. Isn't that kind of exciting to know that you guys are on the front end? Are, are you excited about what's going on, what God's doing? That's good. That's wonderful. It seems like we've been in this series called The Pursuit for a while, and indeed we have. And the reason we have is because I felt like as I was preparing this series, this was before I even came to be your pastor, I said, you know, we need a good dose of full dependence upon God. Did you know God is orchestrating the circumstances, the events of your life, so that you will be in full dependence upon him? He desires you to depend upon him more than anything. But we don't. We depend upon a diagnosis, or we depend upon a deposit in our checking account. We depend upon our relationships being in unity, and we kind of think of God in the afterthought. With God, now I'm just talking about me, y'all. Talking about me, not talking about you. If you're getting like upset with me, don't get upset with me. I'm talking about me. But we add God to the afterthought of our life, and then we'll say things like, now God, come down here and bless what we have going on. Don't we? Oh, we pray prayers of instructions to God. Yeah, God, I would really like if you did this, 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 and this. Am I the only one that prays those kind of prayers? And the truth is, God wants us to live such in the face of him that nothing is impossible, nothing is daunting, nothing is too hard. How do we get there? And we've been looking at the guys in, in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, how they lived such with the belief in God that nothing was too hard, no giant was too large, no task too difficult, no wall that could not be scaled, no enemy that could not be defeated. They lived believing firmly and totally in God. Now, this is something that, that kind of captivated my thinking this morning as I was looking through this, that these guys did this without the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would come and go on people in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, when Christ died and rose again, he gave us the parakletos, the, the one who comes alongside of us, the Holy Spirit, and he indwells our hearts. Being dwelled by the Spirit of God should give us a holy boldness that is unlike any other. Don't you agree with that? But it doesn't. Why? Well, I think we know why. I think we have short-sighted selfishness or we've lulled ourselves into the doldrums of religion and forgot about the power of relationship with the Holy God. Well, this morning, I want to take you on yet another adventure with the guy who lived face-to-face -face with God. There's an account in the Old Testament. You know, there's some things in the Old Testament just kind of jump out at you. 
Several years ago, I don't know if y'all remember the book, The Prayer of Jabez, written by Wilkerson, that little phrase that jumped out at him. And, and of course, uh, you know, I've always wanted to write a book called The Prayer of Jabez, uh, Purpose-Driven Prayer of Jabez in the Shack. I wanted to write that book. That might <laughs> sell a few bazillion copies. That was, that was really complicated humor there. Yeah, okay, y'all got it. But this, this one passage jumped out on me, and this is about a guy named Benaiah, or Benaniah, either way you want to call that. And he was a mighty warrior. And I, listen, I want you to listen to this account out of 2 Samuel 23. And then we're going to fast forward to the book of Colossians. And as Paul wrote, now this is, this is the cool thing about Scripture. Scripture reveals Scripture to itself. And we're going to look at one passage of Scripture and pull this apart about what does it mean to live like this? How do you live like this? Let me read for you. And it'll be up on the screen. It's in 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 through 22. There was also Benaniah, the son of Jehoadiah, a valiant warrior from Kebzel. And he did many heroic deeds, which include, and here's his resume, killing two champions of Moab. Two. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Y'all ever seen a lion? I mean, my friend, uh, Lee Franklin, he went, he's gone to Africa and he's, he's killed lots of animals and he has them mounted in his, uh, his dining room. And he has a full-size lion mounted in his dining room. They are huge. And this dude chases it into a pit on a snowy day and kills it. He doesn't have a gun. He perhaps has a spear or a sword. But what's going on in a guy's heart that he says, here, kitty, 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 to a lion? I don't know if you've ever heard a lion roar. Uh, my same friend Lee Franklin said the time he's been most afraid, he was on a hunt in Africa in a walled tent, and he heard a lion roar outside his tent. Now, in preparation for his trip to Africa, he was reading a historical account about people who had been killed by African animals. That's called stupid. You don't read that before you go to Africa. And he said he heard this lion roar, and he heard a scratching at his tent kind of simultaneously, and he knew that lion was about to burst into that tent and devour him and pick his teeth with his bones. But it was a mouse in the corner that was scratching on the tent. So I think that's a good spiritual lesson to us. Sometimes we hear a lion, and it's just really a mouse. And of course, the Bible calls Satan a roaring lion, but you've got to remember that lion has been defanged and declawed through the cross of Christ. That ought to get an amen, but it didn't. We'll try harder. All right. Once armed with only a club, he killed an Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaniah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it, Deeds like these made Benaniah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. And we talked about the three last week. Uh, in the account in, in Kings, uh, excuse me, in Chronicles about Benaniah, it says the Egyptian was seven and a half feet tall. He was Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> and he took the spear away from him and killed him with the spear. Benaniah was a bad dude. Let me tell you about Benaniah. Just give you a little more history before we get into the rest of the text. Benaniah became David's bodyguard. Now, David was a mighty warrior in his own right. 
But David had a bodyguard named Benaniah. Now, interesting, could you imagine the interview process of Benaniah as David looked at Benaniah's resume? Oh, killed two mighty warriors, seven half foot Egyptian, lion of pit, snowy day. You're hired. Let me say this, Kay. God is busy building your resume of faithfulness to use you in the next assignment for his glory. Your now is preparation for your next. And some of you say, well, I ain't doing nothing now. <laughs> really? Are you not prepared for God to use you in a great way? Maybe today is a divine wake-up call for you that says, you know what? I'm not done because I'm not dead. And it doesn't matter how old you are. See, Ben and I lived so in the face of God that nothing was impossible, nothing was improbable, and nothing was too hard or nothing was too risky. He lived pursuing all in in the face of God. And that inspires me. And the same God who Benaniah followed is the same God we follow. He is the Lord God. He has not changed. He has not stepped aside. You see, for those of us who say we're going to live for Christ, he wants us to live all in. He wants us to live with that focus that, that nothing's too hard, but we often live very small lives. Very small lives, very contained lives. In fact, some of you moved to Wimberley in order for your world to be smaller. That God sends a crazy preacher to you to expand your horizons. For you, you could change. And today, today, you could and should, this could and should be the day when you decide you want to be a lion chaser instead of a bench warmer to live out the life God has intended for you. You only get one shot at this life, just one, just one. It says in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed a man wants to live and then the, die, and then the judgment. Appointed a man wants to die and then the judgment. We only get one shot. And some of us are in the last half, our quarter, our tenth of that shot. So what are we going to do? Make my life count. I don't know about you, but I want to live to make Jesus famous. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you just speak through me this morning, that the words that, that I say will be customized to these that hear. Father, the words that would come from my heart are nonsense and noise, but the words that come from your heart are life and peace. And I pray you just speak in your power in your truth, in your way, to these people whom you love, and I love as well. Thank you for what you're going to do, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I invite you to take, your, take the weekend with you notes out of, your, out of your, your bulletin, your worship guide, whatever we call that thing. Take it out of there and jot down some notes. There's some, also some passages of Scripture that'll follow you this week. I hope you've been participating in the 99 days of prayer, you have a new memory verse starting this week. Some of you are saying, well, I never got the last one. Well, you still have time, okay? We're not going to kick you out if you fail the test. We're going to keep you. Uh, but, but you have a new memory verse. And then this afternoon, 
We're going to be focusing on the next set of renewals, and that's relational renewal. And our prayer gathering, we will be praying for each other. And so you guys look forward to that now. You say, well, you going to make me pray out loud? No, I will not make you pray out loud. Are you going to embarrass me in public? Only if you're Dan, I will embarrass you in public. Right, Dan? But uh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a loving, good time. Look forward to that. This morning, I woke up with more moving parts in my head that I could keep up with. Y'all ever done that? You got this, you got that, you got the other. We got a new grandbaby. We've got a two-year-old who is consuming. Uh, you know, Tara, Tara's been with that, that baby, and, and I've been here. She's not here. It's just like, oh, I got to introduce Sean. I just got lots of stuff going on in my head. Y'all ever like that? No? <laughs> I'll preach on lying next week, okay? But... But the truth is, I think God has a message for us today, and the distractions that come my way could be a diversion from you hearing what God wants to say to you today. And so we're going to look at one passage of Scripture, and it's out of the book of Colossians. I love the book of Colossians. You can see Paul, you can see God developing Paul's systematic theology as Paul writes the epistles. You've got to realize this. Paul wasn't born Paul. He was born Saul. And when he came to Christ, he had to work out his theology, just like we all do. And as in his writings, you can see the development of his theology and the purity of it. And I, I love to watch Paul track as the Holy Spirit divinely inspired Paul to write. Paul's mind was being built by Christ. And the ultimate building was the book of Romans. As we read the most intrinsic book of systematic theology in the Bible. And Paul was writing towards Romans. And, he, and it's all in consistence. It's all in God's revelation. I love that about Paul. Does that make sense to you guys? It gives me hope. I've been a pastor for 36 years now. And I've not stopped growing in the Lord. I don't want to stop growing in the Lord. I want to keep learning. I want to keep uh, figuring out what God is saying to me. I want to keep growing in my intellect, growing in my capacity to trust growing in, in Scripture. Don't, don't you want to do that as well? Because God has created us to become like Christ, and he's chosen us to become like Christ. So it, it requires us to lean in and to grow that we might honor God. So let me look at this one passage today, and this is what God says to you this morning. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious mystery of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you look at that passage of Scripture, and you might memorize that. Some of you might have memorized that. That's uh, the ESV version of that because I looked at several different English translations trying to find what I thought was the closest to the, to the original language, and this is where I found it. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious mystery of this mystery, which is Christ for you, the hope of glory. Now, you looked at it, and you said, well, that's kind of an innocuous saying. That's kind of Paul at a conclusion saying, but this, this passage is so packed with powerful transformation. And I want us to pull it apart bit by bit. Just like you would take a beautiful diamond and hold it up to the light with the jeweler's loop and see all the multifacets of it without flaw. I want you just to look at this passage today. To them God has chosen. That's you. You have been chosen by God. You have. How do I know that? Because you're under the preaching of the gospel. That's how I know that. That you've gathered together with other people 
who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and we're here intentionally gathered together to honor him, to sing to him, to gather with him. Now, some of you have yet to commit yourself to Christ and you know who you are, but you have been chosen. Why? Because you're here. The very evidence of your presence in this room points to the fact that God has chosen you before the foundations of the world that you might hear his gospel and respond to it. Wow. That's you. That's me. We've been chosen by God. It's like God walked in to the the puppy pound of the universe and picked that mutt, me. He said, he ain't much, but I believe he'll hunt. (laughs) That's the way God looks at us. In fact, he wants to hold us up in front of the angels and say, look what I've done. This is a trophy of grace right here. Right here. Some of us takes two hands. Mm. You were handpicked by God to live here in Wimberley, Texas, or Dripping Springs, or Buda. What a weird name. Buda. I'm not judging. I'm just commenting. Kyle. Hopefully there's somebody named Kyle that that city's named after. I believe there is. Uh, New Braunfels. We know that that's German, right? Um, wherever you're from, South Austin, wherever you're from, God has chosen you to be right here, right now, in this epoch of history. You've been selected. Yesterday, while holding little Lily Jane in my arms and her sweet little fingers curled around Papa's finger, which that will be reversed soon, I'll be curled around her finger. And she... Um, I thought about God and his wisdom. Had this little child born in this, little, this family at this time of history. And what he has for this little girl, what he wants for this little girl, I'm praying will not be marred by sin or degradation. It will be the blessings of God and that I pray that one day her papa could talk to her about King Jesus. But I have a feeling her mama and her daddy are going to beat papa to it. And as we pray with little Ivy and as we pour our life into these, you know, grandchildren are the reward for not killing your children. Did you know that? <laughs> it's just the blessings of God. That God has chosen you. God has chosen me. Why in the world? Why in the world am I in Wimberley, Texas? Why in the world? Because God chose it. And you guys were desperate. (laughs) And God chose it. Why are you here? Because God chose you to be here. Why do you live? Because God is working. You are no mistake. And I want you to say that. I I want you to listen to this. And you have all the resources of heaven at your disposal to live all for Jesus. You have all the resources of heaven at your disposal to live all for Jesus. So stop thinking ordinary and small and chase lions. Chase lions. Hmm. You know, the great lie is that God cannot nor will not use you. And he will. And he will. One of my heroes was my father. And my father and I had a conversation about this passage of Scripture. 
In fact, right now, our staff is reading a book uh, called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day by a guy named Mark Batterson, a pastor named Mark Batterson. I met Mark about 10 years ago. Uh, I had the privilege of being one of the first ones to read this book, and I've encouraged every team I've led to read this book because it just pours encouragement into you, and I, I encourage you to read it, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. My dad and I were talking about this because I've always been that kid that's a risk taker. That if I had a sure thing, I wasn't comfortable. I wanted to, I wanted to risk. I wanted to live out on the edge. I wanted to, to feel the wind of the Spirit in my face. And I was about to step away from something I'd started into something I would start over. And my dad was really nervous about it. And I, I said to Dad, I said, Dad, I'm going to move to Tallahassee and I'm going to start this church because there's a lion roaring in Tallahassee that needs killing. And my father said, well, son, I hope that lion don't eat you. But God always sends his best and his bravest to the hardest places. I did not know that Tallahassee was a pathway to Canada. I did not know that Canada was a pathway to Alabama. And I did not know that Alabama was a pathway to me consulting and coaching pastors all over this nation. And I did not know agreeing to come preach for you guys as interim was a pathway for me coming up here to live amongst you. All I knew was there's a lion roaring that needed killing. Let's go. And we are together for God's glory and God's purposes because God has chosen you, chosen you, Chosen by God, empowered by God, equipped by God, sustained by God, living for God, there is no other way. No other way. What have we been chosen to do? To make known. To make him known. To make him known. You see, you're on a divine rescue mission. Did you know that? And that's the depopulation of hell. God wants heaven crowded and hell empty. That's what he wants. And it's not just hell of eternity, which there is a devil's hell, a place of condemnation for eternity for those who reject Jesus Christ. And hell breaks the heart of God. But hell, God does not send people to hell. Hell is a choice for being separated from God by your own decision. And there could be no justice apart from hell. But there's not just hell in eternity, but it's the hellish life people are living right here and right now. One of the things I learned about Wimberley early on was that there's a drug culture here, an addiction culture here, and people are living in hell. And we, the Church of Jesus Christ, to make a difference by helping people find recovery. There's also an elitism here in Wimberley. And God is not into elitism, y'all. And people are living in hell of elitism. There's also racism here. And God loves all people. God loves all people. God loves all people. And if you don't love all people, you're not going to be very happy in heaven. 
Because heaven is going to be full of every tribe and every tongue and every, every kind of folk. I pastored a church where we had 48 different people groups in our church. From folks from, from South America, from Central America, from Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, Canada, even Americans. Americans and Canadians are not alike. Did y'all know that, eh? And I knew that that's what heaven looked like. Every weekend I was translated into four different languages. And I knew what heaven looked like. And God loves all people. We're called to make him known. You see, we're not a part of a religion. We have a relationship with God that's a movement for God. If you study the etymology of the word for church, which is ecclesia or ecclesia, either way you want to pronounce that, that it means this. It means the assembly. It means the called out, called together on purpose. In Greek, it was used as a military term or a political term, like there was an assembly on a purpose. If you read uh, in, in the, the book of Acts, then when Paul got in trouble, uh, there was a, a group of people that had him beaten in, Philipp, in uh, Thessalonica, uh, excuse me, in Philippi. He was thrown in jail in Philippi. And they called that mob that threw him in jail an ecclesia, an assembly. Assembly. And they had a purpose, and that was purpose was evil. But we are an ecclesia. We're a movement for the glory of God. We do not have a relationship, or we do not have a religion. We have a relationship with King Jesus. And that relationship with King Jesus moves us to do what he wants, to say what he says, to think like he thinks, and to see what he sees, and to live our life as an extension of his grace and mercy in this broken, fallen world. That's who we are. That's who we are. And we must change. Let me, let me say this to you. I want to say it in love. But here in Texas, we live in the center of what I call churchianity. When you have a conversation with someone, usually about the second or third thing you ask them is, where do you go to church? Now, that's becoming less and less the norm. But church has not lost its power or its authority. Where do you go to church? We live in the center of churchianity. But God doesn't want us to live in the center of churchianity. He wants us to live in the center of his will. And he is willing that none should perish but all come to repentance. Hmm. So I asked our staff this not too long ago. In fact, I wrote it on my whiteboard. If you come into my office anytime, you'll see my whiteboard. And I think out loud on this whiteboard. The other day I was drawing organizational charts and it looked like my brain had exploded all over the, the whiteboard, and it was confusing to everyone. But me, I kind of figured out where we were going. But I asked him this question. Are we willing to do things no one else is doing to reach people no one else is reaching? Are we willing to do things no one else is doing to reach people no one else is reaching? I'm not talking about sinful things, y'all. I'm, I'm talking about really, truly living all for Jesus. 
breaking out of our comfort and our convenience is say we will live differently. You see, the mystery, to make known the mystery of the mysteries, the mystery is that God would care enough to save my sorry hide because I'm a Gentile. And so are you. Paul was writing to a group of people that were Gentiles and the Jews were saying, we're, you're not acceptable, we're elite. It sounds like racism to me, doesn't it, to you? Have y'all watched the news lately? Do you see where racism's taking our country? The Church of Jesus Christ is anti-racism and into acceptance and loving of people. I heard someone say, those white supremacists, we ought to kill them all. I said, you're becoming one of them. Be kind, tenderhearted to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Let the words that come out of your mouth be for building up, not for tearing down. And the people with the tainted view of social elitism need Jesus. And people that are pushed to the margins of society need Jesus. And we need Jesus. I saw a shirt in green the other day that said, y'all need Jesus. I started to buy it because it's true. It's true. The mystery is glorious because it costs God his, his lifeblood that Jesus died to make this mystery known to us. So I want to ask you this question. I wanted to get it personal to you. Who do you know that he's Christ that you need to share that story with, your story? Where would you go if God asked you to share that story? Would you care enough? He would care enough to save us so we care enough to go for him. I want to say this to you, and I want you to write this down. People come to Jesus best on the arm of a trusted friend. You can bring them to these gatherings that we gather here, and they'll hear about Christ and him crucified, and they'll, they probably will respond to Jesus, but they're not going to come unless you ask. George Barnard, the great pollster, did a poll of, of Americans, a survey of Americans, a large group. He said 80% of people are likely to attend a church if they were invited. We could sit out a direct mail piece that has a 0.03% effectiveness. But an invitation has an 80% effectiveness. Look around you. There's space. There's room. And we run out of room, we'll build some more room. Won't we? Some of you go, I don't know about that. How much that going to cost? That's absolutely the wrong question. Not be easy. So what? Lion needs killing. What are the lions that I see roaring? I'm going to give you a few. Poverty. Rescuing somebody out of poverty without telling them about Christ is irresponsible. But leaving them in poverty is irresponsible as well. Corruption. We live in America. There's no corruption here. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was, a, yeah, I could tell you a fairy tale. Pandemic diseases is not a sin to be sick, y'all. Miseducation, misinformation. It's amazing to me. We live surrounded by major universities where ignorance is on display. Spiritual emptiness. 
One thing I love about Benaniah, the son of Jehoadiah, he did not fear the lion. He chased it. He didn't find himself in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. He chased the lion into a pit. 500 pounds of fur and fury. He chased the lion. Now, let me conclude this talk, and we need to stop. Y'all have had enough. We didn't pass out enough apples. See, Christ in you, he is the hope of glory. Christ in you, he is the hope of glory. And he is closing in on you right now. He's tapping your heart right now. He said, will you live all for me? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? It's true. And this hope is not some delayed feeling of euphoria or of expectation of something to come that awaits us in heaven. It's now and it's real and it anchors our souls. We have this hope who anchors our souls. And hope is not an emotion or a feeling. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he sends us to the hardest places, to the least reached places. And he demands our whole lives. So I want to ask you a question. And I think you're going to get mad at me. What would you do for Jesus if you knew it was him who asked? What would you do for Jesus if you knew it was him who asked? I suspect most of you would say, well, pastor, I'd do anything for Jesus if I knew it was him who's asking. Really? Really? Then why aren't you tithing? You ask. Why aren't you talking to your neighbor about Jesus? He asked. What about building up unity through the bond of peace? He, he asked. What about connecting with others so that we can become like Christ, so we could serve God by serving others, so we could contagiously share the love of God in word and deed? He asked. He asked. Let me tell you, I, I've fallen victim to some stuff in our kind of belief system. And here's, here it is. I want to pray, I want to pay, and I want to stay out of the way. I'll let the preachers deal with that. I'll let the missionaries deal with that. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to throw a little money in the plate, and I'm going to stay out of the way. But this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to pray. He wants you to pay. He wants you to get in the fray. To say, Lord, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on my back, only sustain me. Sever any tie but the tie that binds me to yourself. I'm going to live all in. I'm going to chase lions. I refuse to live a small, shallow life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't. I know what that looks like for me. That I have to be a man of courage. 
a man that can see and seek out spiritual opportunities and seize them. I need to be a man of prayer where I'm asking God to, to light my way and show my path. I need Christ to anchor my soul. I've got some hurts that I need to let go of. I've got some habits I need Jesus to redeem me from. And I've got some hang-ups that are based on my preference that I need to let go of. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And I've got him. What about you? You see, don't settle. Chase lions. Live all for Jesus. As I wrote this talk, this crazy week I had, I realized this. I live for the lion of Judah. I'm going to chase that lion. Not into a pit on a snowy day, but to the eternal, unshakable kingdom of God for his glory. For his glory.